Well, good morning, everybody. What a joy, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be here with all of you. And if you're sitting there wondering, is that something new that Kevin's wearing? And the answer is, yes, this is an outfit my wife picked out for me. So there we go. It's beautiful. But seriously, what a joy, what a privilege it is to be here with all of you. Um, we are, I'm going to send the ushers up the aisles in both uh, venues. So uh, those of you who are watching in the sanctuary, those of you who are watching online, welcome to you as well. Grace and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So ushers can come forward. If you need a Bible, if you want to follow along with what the sermon is talking about, feel free to put up a hand and you can, and our ushers will get you a Bible. Uh, if you're feeling a little risque, if you will, you can pull out your phone and go on your YouVersion Bible app to follow along as well. We are in the middle of a series titled Jesus at Home, and we've been looking at different uh, situations. We've been looking at different groups of people where Jesus is at home with, whether Jesus is at home with the sinner, whether Jesus is at home with those who are hurting. But today, we're going to look at another group of people, Jesus at home with the disciple, Jesus at home with the learner. But before we dive into that, I think it's important for us to be able to, first of all, be on the same page when it comes to two really important words, and for us to be able to truly understand what we mean by these two words. And so first of all, we're going to look at what it means to be family. So, church family, complete the following sentence. Jesus makes us Jesus makes us family. This is a value that we cherish. This is a value that we know. We know it by heart. We always say it first, I guess. Uh, but I think sometimes we can gloss over it a little bit. Sometimes I think we just assume that people come in having a positive understanding of what family is. But the reality of the situation is, is that there are some situations where family can be a negative term for people. Maybe for some of you who are walking in today or you know of people outside of the church that when they think of family, they think of brokenness. They think of um, kids being sent off to grandma's house. Or you have parents who maybe aren't interested in what you're doing. Or there's no discipline, there's no structure to the family. Or worse yet, maybe it's a place that's seen as an unsafe place. The reality is, is that people sometimes have this idea of family, but what I'm here to reassure you to, of today is that the church family, what the Bible says about family, is a positive. When Jesus makes us family, it's a good thing. We have a Father who is in heaven, who loves us, who knows you intimately, who desires a relationship with you, who wants to get to know you. He's got structure to help guide us and lead us. He also is raising you. He's walking alongside of you in your faith journey. And as a church family, we get to learn different things about each other because when Jesus is at home with family and Jesus makes us family, we want to get to know people. Like, for example, I'm looking around the room and I'm going, yep, uh-huh, okay, 
you might be in a little bit different spot than you were last week. People, when they come into church, they have their specific spots. And me being a part of this church family for the past few years, I've come to know, like, okay, certain people have their certain spots, which is totally, totally okay. But it's something that you get to know. And when you're in a family, what it means is that you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is at home with you, where you have a chance to encounter him, to experience what church is really like. It is an open, it is a safe space. So when, the, when people gather together, that's family. But the specific name of the gathering, that's church. And sometimes we can get the wrong ideas about what church is. For some people from the outside looking in, they might see church as a place to gain righteousness points. So that way, when later on in the week, they're reaming out their coworker for something wrong that they did, they can be like, I feel okay. I went to church on Sunday. Everything's all good. I'm, I've got a one-up on the big guy. I can afford to sin a little bit. But then there's other times where the church can be seen as this place where it's the thing we do on Sundays. It's an obligation. You just, it's implanted in the back of your mind that, yep, on Sundays, we go to church. And nothing more, nothing less, but it's just something that's a part of the routine. Or I think what the worst one might be, and it infects even people inside of the church, is that church is a place where you get to relax in your nice, comfortable chairs in the fellowship hall or your nice, comfortable wooden pew. You get to sit back and you get to, you know, soak in what the preacher is saying or you get to soak in the worship music. And it's all about my spiritual fulfillment. And I'm only here to be entertained. But I think if we come in with that mindset, we miss the point of what church really is. And I think for us to really understand what the root, what the source of the family gathering is, we need to turn to scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts, the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. In the Quest Bible, which I have here, it is on page 1596. 1596, which in addition to being a good year is the page that our scripture reading, one of our scripture readings is from. So Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the outcome of the result of Pentecost. So Pentecost was an event where the apostle Peter spoke power and beauty over the Jewish people and the Holy Spirit came down and God's true outworkings of how he was going to spread the gospel to the entire world came to fruition. And as a result of that, we then get a glimpse into what the early church was like. So let me read to you Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I think what's really important about this scripture is what it says and what it does not say. Here's what it does not say. It does not say they were invested in raising $8 million for the new building campaign. It also does not say they watched as Dan rocked out with the worship band amidst the fog. Or for those of you who are in the traditional service, they watched as Doug gracefully played the organ amidst the stained glass windows. 
First of all, Doug and Dan were not alive back in the time of the Bible. But second of all, it doesn't say that because that's not the point of what church is about. It's not the point of the church gathering together. It's not the purpose of a family gathering. No, what the purpose is, is what it says in the scripture. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning that we are to be learners. We are not to come into church thinking that we have all of the right answers, because we don't. Even the pastors don't have all the right answers. I know, shocking. But you're not supposed to come in with all the answers. You're supposed to assume a position of a learner. That's first and foremost. You're devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is the scriptures. For the people back in the time of Acts, it was the Old Testament and what they had seen and witnessed through Jesus' ministry. But then the second thing is equally important. Fellowship. Gathering together. Getting to know one another. Loving one's neighbor as oneself. I think a lot of times you focus too much on the love your enemies part and get distracted by that, but at the heart of it, it's love your neighbors. Love the people who are wanting and desiring the same goals that you are. See, for Jesus to be at home, we need to be assuming position of le- positions of being learners, and we need to be in fellowship with one another. So now that we have this picture of what family and what church should mean, let's fast forward to Acts chapter 18, page 1626 in your Quest Bibles if you're following along. This is after Saul has converted to Paul. I know we did our whole series on the book of Acts. And uh, this is at a point where Paul has made some friends. He's ha- he has some disciples who are learning from him and who are carrying on the mission of sharing the gospel with the with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ to the world around them. And uh, two of those disciples, their names are Priscilla. Everybody say Priscilla. And Aquila. Everybody say Aquila. Now, this wasn't Priscilla had her own ministry and Aquila had his own ministry. No, they were a couple. And they were disciples together. And they were people who opened up their home for people to come in and to learn from them to understand what Jesus meant throughout his ministry and what the Old Testament scriptures are really pointing to. And they come in contact with a man named Apollos. And in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24, I'm going to go ahead and read to you how this encounter went down. So it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is a living example of what Acts chapter 2 verse 42 points out. 
devoted to the apostles' teaching. You might have in your small groups, I hope this also paints a picture of the fact that uh, this is an example of a small group gathering together. You all are a part of small groups, right? Sermon-based discussion groups, whether that's uh, your BSF group or your women's circle, or even if it's just you're a part of the fishing league or uh, part of a cycling club, whatever the case may be, uh, all of you in some way, shape, or form have some sort of small group. So here we get a model for what the small group looks like, but we also get an example of what the church should be about. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. Priscilla and Aquila, they were two people who had learned under Paul, who had learned under the original disciples. So what they, what they were learning was the truth about who Jesus was and how Jesus changes the entire trajectory of history. But they were also all about fellowship. And it's how not just small groups should be, but how the whole church should be. Notice that it doesn't have a specific number for church to happen. I think sometimes when we think about the successful churches, we think about those churches that have like tens of thousands of members. Or we might even think about our own congregation with the number of people that we have. Not that we're not, not, that we're not successful. We are. We do ministry. There's some wonderful things happening here. But just know that when you gather in your small groups, you're doing church as well, because church is not a specific building. Church is you all. Church happens whenever people gather together to study the Word and to enjoy fellowship with one another. And this was happening. And when I say that they were open, they were open to anybody entering. Because the reality was, Apollos did not believe the same things that Priscilla and Aquila did at first. I think sometimes we can be quick to have our doors open, but then the moment somebody comes in with a different ideology, the door closes. And we say, nope, we don't want you infecting our group with your ridiculous theories. But I think we should be more like Priscilla and Aquila, who they open their doors to anybody to learn. Because what it says happens is that Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, come join our fellowship. Let's, let's teach you. Let's guide you. And the result out of that is an incredible thing. It really is. Now, when I, when I think of a real-life example of fellowship and gathering together to study the Word, I think about my late Grandma Bergendahl's women's circle that she used to be a part of. And this group met together for about 40 years. And they gathered together for the same purpose, studying the Word of God and fellowship. And this fellowship usually revolved around talking about and checking in with people. It wasn't necessarily this like gossipy sort of like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Doesn't look good for them. But it was more like, hey, how's your day going? What was something that happened this week that impacted you? They were asking questions that got deeper into who people really are. It pushed aside the masks, and they were able to invest in one another and to love one another in true Christian fellowship. And, of course, they gathered together, together over some tasty desserts and some delicious coffee because my grandma's from Staten Island, New York, so 
That's how they say coffee. And also, my grandma was not the one to bake the tasty desserts. She was the one to run off to Sam's Club to pick up the cupcakes and then bring them. But it didn't matter that she didn't know how to bake because, well, the group invited her and openly accepted her anyways. Which is important because that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. They opened up their doors so that way Apollos could come in and his thinking could shift a little bit towards the actual truth. Well, my grandma's women's circle, they were truly an example to follow. They were truly an example of people who just genuinely loved each other and they genuinely loved to talk. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. However, there is a blessing and a curse aspect to the, her women's circle and in my family in general. And it revolves around the process of leaving. Because there is this blessing and a curse. And some of you might know of it. It is known as the Norwegian goodbye. Or as, at least in this area, it's known as the Minnesotan goodbye. Is that, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Okay. So I'm not, so I'm not just speaking to a wall. But um, for those of you who don't know, Norwegian goodbyes. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been passed on from generation to generation, start, at least started with my grandma's grandma and then passed on to my grandma and so on and so forth. But here's how it works. Normal people, when they say goodbye, this is what they do. It's usually you're like, for some reason, I picture it, you're sitting down. So you're sitting down talking with somebody, you give the slap of the knees and you go, well, it's about that time to go. And the other person says, all right, we'll see you next time. Bye. And then you go, okay, bye. And then you leave. Quick, simple, all done, good to go. It's a beautiful thing. That's not how it works in my family. See, what happens is you have the first layer of the goodbye where you're talking in the kitchen and you give that initial, well, it's time for us to get going. And as you're leaving, the, you enter into another room of the house. But then somebody says, oh, wait, I have to tell you this about Aunt Betty. And then you get going talking about Aunt Betty for a really long time. And then you get the second goodbye that's saying, okay, now we're really leaving. But as you get to the front door, then all of a sudden you get something else that's mentioned about a different family member. And then you got to get talking about that and so on and so forth. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And then you keep rolling your eyes going, will we ever leave? <laughs> or you could be like my grandma who reached the ultimate level of the Norwegian goodbye. My mom says that this is a true story, that my grandma with her friend from her women's circle. They were talking, and so they said their goodbye at the front door. And she's, her friend's walking down the stairs, gets into her car, starts the car, but my grandma forgot that she had to tell her friend something really important. So she you know, goes down the stairs, catches her friend before she leaves, and so they're talking. And they talk for so long that her friend's car ran out of gas. If that ain't the ultimate Norwegian goodbye, I don't know what is. But here's the thing. I think that there's something deeper. There's a reason why Norwegians or just people who just love each other in general have a hard time leaving. Because partly, there's some cultural aspect to it. See, all of the Scandinavian countries like Norway, Sweden, and Finland, they all have their roots in Denmark. Are there any Dan people with Danish descent in here? Anybody? Yeah, all right, one guy. All right, awesome. See, the Danes, they have this wonderful word. 
this beautiful word. It, it's packed so much meaning. I love it. And I think it's something that we all can learn from as we move forward. And that word is huga. Everybody say huga. Now, when we do language studies, there's normally like a, this word is this word in this one language, and it has this meaning in English. So for example, in Spanish, you have el gato, which means cat. Or in German, you have schildkröte, which means turtle. But for huga, it's huga, and the meaning is, okay, there's not really a specific meaning, but we're going to try and create one anyways. But Here's what Hugo is like. Hugo's a feeling that you get. And it's not just like a, I'm happy or I'm sad. But it's a, it's a feeling that you feel deep inside your heart. And, is, and it's not like a tingly feeling. It's like a, ah, that feels good. It's like a, oh, that feels so good. And it's a, it's a warm feeling. It's a it's a fantastic feeling. It's strong. And you can't keep it for yourself. You have to share that with other people. And, it, you get, and the source of that feeling that you get is because you're in a place where there's no place that you would rather be. My question for you today, church, is what if our church has strived to be places of Huga? What if our small groups strove or continued to strive to be places of Huga. Because here's the reality of the situation. A lot of times when people look at the church from the outside in, they see a dark place. They see a cult-ish-like place. They see a place that, that they just assume, oh, it's a group of people that all they do is judge other people. They look at somebody's sins and they go, yep, nope, not allowed, can't allow them in. But, and as a result, they see all these other divisions. They see hatred. They see people split up into denominations. But what if, as a result of us adopting this position of Huga, what if we were to rewrite the narrative? Because as a result of outside people looking at the church in, they might see a place that's dull and lacks purpose and lacks life. But what if, as people in the church, we re rewrote the narrative? What if we were centered around the good news of the gospel, that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us, but then to raise from the dead and bring us with him so that way we could have eternal life. John 3.16, in a nutshell. What if we centered around that truth? What if we actually believed it? And then when we came together, our hearts burned with the desire to continue to learn more, to continue to grow into fellowship, just like the disciples who met up with Jesus after he rose from the dead on the road to Emmaus. It's in scripture where it says that they were listening to him. They were hearing his teachings. They were excited. And when they gathered together at the table with him, it says that their hearts burned with a desire, not just to keep it for themselves, but to do something about it. And as a result, that we're creating a church environment where we are experiencing Hugo on a daily basis. And church isn't an obligation, but it's a place where there is no place that where we would rather be. That's what it means for us, for Jesus to make his family. When Jesus makes his family, draws us closer, and it stirs us into action. I think there's a perfect example of how this gets played out in our, in our daily lives. And I want to show you a video to help illustrate 
this point. So go ahead and take a look at the screens. We've shared stories about the kids with Batten disease for a few years now. Their disease has progressed and it's crucial for their parents to find an accessible home. The Anderson siblings chose to pitch in. Mowing a neighbor's lawn, sweeping a driveway. It's the way the Anderson kids have spent their free time. Hope this helps you a lot. The project to help Lydia and Drew Wallstrom started with 10-year-old Isaac's idea. And so I decided to raise money to have them get a house that they can move around in safely. Do you want to sit? Batten is similar to ALS, but kids with the disease, like Lydia and Drew, have seizures, lose their eyesight, experience dementia, and cognitive decline. Every day, every moment they're alive is precious. <laughs> At a young age, these kids know removing barriers is key. So Isaac asked for money for his birthday instead of gifts. It went really well. We raised $500. His older brother got on board. Well, I thought that was a good idea, so me and him decided to start doing that. And then I have helped out by mowing people's lawns throughout the summer. And soon, their younger sisters and brother followed. I've been picking up dog poop and weeds. We've been pretty busy with it, but it, we get like $2 each, so we get $6 every time. They need a house. The kindness spread. One family hosted a lemonade stand. There was another birthday party asking for donations as gifts. Our goal is to get $1,000, and we're almost there. Lydia and Drew's parents were overwhelmed to learn of their kindness. Oh, I've gotten goosebumps every time I think about it. I'm blown away by these little guys and what they've done this summer, so <laughs> it's very inspiring. <laughs> They're family from church, and family helps family. The Anderson kids hope what they're doing will spark other acts of kindness. And Mike, you know how incredible our viewers are. Mm -hmm. um, they are incredibly generous. And after we reported a nonprofit helping the family folded, many of you donated so they can build or find an existing home that works. And those donations and a large one that WCCO just learned about has allowed the family to put on a down payment on a home. That is all thanks to you. Mm. Thank you. Praise God. Now, I wanted to introduce Isaac to you. This is Isaac. Everybody say hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, first of all, that's... <laughs> First of all, that story is wrong because Isaac is now 11 years old. It's his birthday today. So what an exciting time. But I wanted to share Isaac's story because there's a whole lot that ties into what we learned about today. See, Isaac is an 11-year-old kid where in most other church congregations, they would tell him, Shouldn't you just be in Sunday school? Shouldn't you no, let, leave the discipleship, leave the action, leave that to the adults? But this church isn't like that. This church allows people like Isaac to carry out dreams and allows Isaac to learn and to grow and to be able to show the world that God can use anybody to do incredible things. Not to mention, Isaac's family also travels from Blaine. Did you know that? They come from Blaine. They drive by a whole bunch of churches on their way here, but they decided to come here to Community of Grace because like Priscilla and Aquila, you opened their doors to them. You gave them an opportunity. And as a result of Isaac being in Sunday school and as a result of what he's learned, he experienced Huga. 
without him probably even knowing it. You probably didn't even know it, right? So here he is. He's experiencing Hugo, and he wanted to do something about it, so he saw a family in need. And sure enough, because of what he started at a birthday party, a family was able to put a down payment on a house, and it has now, since that story, moved into that house. Let Isaac be an example for us as to what happens when Hugo enters into the church building, when we are people rooted in the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that way we can experience Hugo with one another, but also rewrite the narrative for church into the future. Isaac, you can go have a seat. Thanks, buddy. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the gift of Hugo and the example that you set out for us, an example of fellowship with you and fellowship with one another, and to most importantly, learn so deeply from your word. We thank you for the example of Priscilla and Aquila, and God, I just pray over any and all of our small groups here today that you would help them to experience Hugo, that you would give them a passion to not just go through the motions, but to be able to have your Holy Spirit impact them on a very, very deep and heart level. God, we trust you. We know that you can work through any and all circumstances. And we know, Lord, that you love us so much and you give us the courage to do the courageous. So, Lord, we thank you. And it's in your most precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.